It was opening day for the Brampton Little League baseball season. And uh, our family was venturing into, uh, into the world of baseball. My son Ezra was playing his very first game. He stepped up to the plate. Uh, he looked at a couple of pitches and then made contact. An infield ground ball. And he took off for first, for first base. And the... Uh, Fielder on the other team picked up the ball, tried to throw it to first, and what so often happens in Little League Baseball is the ball went right over the first baseman's head. Ezra didn't even notice because as soon as he hit first base, he was taken off for second. And so Ezra takes off for second base. By the time the first baseman retrieves the ball and recovers the ball, Ezra's already halfway to third. And so they try to throw it to third. And guess what happened? Right over the head of the third baseman, Ezra is oblivious to what's happening with the ball. He just keeps running past third and makes it all the way home. I called, yeah, yeah, we can applaud Ezra. All right, good job, son. I call that an inside the park home run. His coach called that a base hit with two errors. I think maybe I might be a little bit biased because, you know, he's my son and that sort of thing. But I was very, I was very proud of Vezra. He might not have understood that he needs to listen to, you know, his, uh, his base running coach. He may not have understood that even you're allowed to stop at first or at second or at third. He just thought, I want to get home. He was focused on making it all the way. That is James' concern as he is wrapping up his letter here. He wants to make sure that these believers who he loves, these believers that he had done life with, remember, James was like the lead pastor in the city of Jerusalem. Remember when, when Peter uh, preached the gospel in, in Acts chapter 2 and thousands on that day were baptized. That was the original early church and James was the lead pastor. And then remember when, when Stephen was martyred, there was persecution in Acts chapter 7 and they're spread all abroad. It's all part of God's plan. Remember Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They got that covered. But God wanted to move them along to Samaria, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he used that persecution to spread them out. Now James, though, is concerned. As their pastor, as one of their elders, he was concerned because he thought, how are they going to keep going? How are they going to make it home? And what James is emphasizing in the end here, if you notice when Carrie started reading in verse 12, he says, but above all. He says, if you, haven't, if you haven't paid attention to anything I've written so far, listen to this. And he's going to give them three clear instructions, three areas that they need to focus on. And you know what? Here's the thing. Everything that he's going to tell them to do is all about relationships. You see, baseball is sort of an individual sport at times. You know, you can't, you, you don't run along the bases with, with other players. You're running it alone. But that's not what the Christian life is like. We are not running this race on our own. We're not trying to get home on our own. If we're going to get there, we're going to get there together. And that's what James is trying to emphasize here. He says, above all, and then he gives them three clear instructions as it relates to relationships. So the title for today's message is Wisdom About 
relationships. Now, kids, I want you to help me help your parents keep on track, okay? And so we've got actions for all of the points today. The first point is this. It's to speak honestly. So kids, here's the action. Speak honestly. Let me see. Everyone shout out. Speak honestly. Put your hands up on your face like this. Speak honestly. All right. Terrific, terrific. And then the second point is this. It's going to be pray continually. So then take your hands, put them together like this, and then shout, pray continually. All right. And then the last one is a little more involved, okay? I want you to get your feet moving with your, arm, with your hand sort of shielding like you're looking for someone. And this is pursue restoratively. Okay, try that with me. Pursue restoratively. All right, so James is going to tell the church, tell these Christians that are all spread out, that if they're going to make it home, they got to speak honestly, they got to pray continually, and they got to pursue restoratively. Try this with me because it's going to come up a bunch. Here we go. Speak honestly, pray continually, pursue restoratively. So it should be no question that James wants to speak about speaking. It, it, it should be no surprise that James has some words about words because really the whole letter, he, he, can't, he can't write for like two or three sentences without bringing up the importance of the tongue. He said in chapter one that we're supposed to be slow to speak and quick to hear. He said later that if someone can control their tongue, they're a mature, they're a perfect believer and don't need to grow in any way. He mentioned in James chapter, in James chapter three about how the tongue is like a spark that sets the fire, that sets a forest fire ablaze. He said it's like a rudder in the back of a ship. He said it's like a bit in the, whore, in the mouth of a horse. And so James here is telling them, he says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear. Now, James is not saying, he's not, he's not talking about swear words, bad words. And, and he already covered that with harsh speech. Harsh words and dirty words and hurtful words. But when he says swear here, he's talking about making, making some sort of special promise or a special oath. He says, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. He says, don't swear. He says, don't swear by heaven or by earth. What James is, is getting at here is he is telling the people that they should speak in such a way, they should, always, they should be known for speaking with honesty, they should be known for their verbal integrity, such that no additional words or promises or oaths are necessary when you're making a statement. To simply say yes is enough. James is saying that if we are going to make it home together, if we are going to have strong relationships as a church family, foundational to that is that we speak with verbal integrity, that we speak honestly. That's what James is telling us to do. Now remember, James is the half-brother. Remember, his older half-brother is Jesus. And as we've studied all throughout our series in the book of James, that all James is really doing is just conducting a Bible study on the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus in Matthew 5, 37 says, let what you say be simply yes or 
No. You see, the religious leaders at that time, they were swearing and making oaths, but they, they wouldn't swear in the name of the Lord. They would swear in the name of heaven. They wouldn't swear by the temple. They would swear by the stones of the temple, all so that they could get out of the promise that they were making. But James here is following along with what his older half-brother Jesus said, is saying, no, no, no. When you say yes, people should just understand that it's yes. When you say no, there shouldn't be two categories of speech. Here's how I talk normally, and here's how I talk when I'm really, really serious. Now, James is not outlawing vows, like vows that you would make at a wedding or, or to, to take an oath if you're in a courtroom. James is not outlawing that sort of thing. He's talking about everyday talk. So I got to ask you, kids, when you're talking to your parents or parents, when you're talking to one another or when Teenagers, when you're relating to your friends, do you find that you have to say a lot? I'm serious. I really mean it. I promise. I swear. Do you find that you need to say that? Because if you find that you have to say that sort of thing, that is a sign that you are not living with verbal integrity. You should never have to say in everyday conversation, I'm serious, I mean it, I promise. Because if you said it, people should just believe it. And if people don't believe you when you speak to them, that is a huge problem. And it needs to start today with just simply speaking honestly. Say it with me, kids. Here we go. Arms on our mouths. Speak honestly. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. We live in a world where rather than saying no, we say maybe. And rather than saying maybe, we say yes. And then, so we, we say yes when we should say maybe. And we say maybe when we should say no. Because we, we don't want to upset the person in the moment. Where if we would just say maybe in the, in the, when, when it was really a maybe. If we would just say no, we, we just delay it. And what that does is that erodes people's ability to trust you. They do not trust your words. Your yes should be yes. Your no should be no. People should not wait for I promise or I, I really mean it this time. You need to mean it every time. You see, we, we serve a God who is true. We serve a God whose yes is yes and whose no is no. And that's the God that we've been worshiping. That's the God we're gathered in his name. He is a God who speaks the truth. And so when God says that, that, that for all who believe in his son have the right to become children of God, when God says yes, we need to trust that yes. And when God says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no maybe there. It's a no. There is no. So God's yes is yes, and his no is no. And if we are his children, we need to speak the way our Father speaks. So one more time, kids, here we go. Speak true honestly. I was going to say truthfully. Sorry, I, I got to get my, my notes straight. So speak honestly. Here comes the next one, kids. Pray continually. Pray continually. James here is, is encouraging the people that as we speak to one another, we also need to keep in mind that we need to be speaking to our Father. 
James mentions three different situations in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders. Do you notice that whether you're suffering or whether you're cheerful, whether you're sick, no matter what your circumstance is, prayer is always the right choice. You understand that? There's never a time that's not the right time to pray. There's never a time to say, well, you know what, I've got to wait until I really need something and then I'll pray. No, is anyone cheerful? If things are just normal, if you're doing well, that is a time to pray. Well, you know, I'm really not in the mood for prayer because I'm, you know, I'm suffering and I'm struggling. No, no, that is what we're supposed to. We're supposed to pray continually, to pray continually. So all of these different groups are all given the same instruction. And then James unpacks here with greater detail the situation of a person who is sick. He says in verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders. It doesn't say, if anyone is among you sick, let him go to the soccer stadium to the healing crusade. It doesn't say, let him give money to the televangelist with the, with the white suit and the fancy shoes knocking people over. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that, that, that the healing ministry of the church, the prayer ministry of the church is some, uh, subcontracted to some special elite group of super spiritual people that quote unquote have the gift of healing. No, it's right there in the Bible. If you're sick, go to the elders. Go to your local, go to the people that know you. Go to the people that love you. Now, not all of you would know your uh, your elders in the church. So allow me to introduce them to you. If you could stand up when I introduce you, this is Roy Wahab right over here. He serves as one of our one of your elders. This is this is Chris Shipley. Where's uh, Chris Shipley? Right over here. Nice hat, Chris. Very very dapper. And this is Jonathan Mendoza right over here. And these are and together with me, we have the privilege of serving as your elders. And so we want to let you know, listen, if you, if you are a member of, your, of our church or looking at becoming a member of our church, you need to get to know us. We want to get to know you. And if you are sick, we would love to pray for you. Jameson and Taylor shared, shared just briefly their testimony. There have been many people who have called upon the elders to come and to pray. Some have seen healing. Some are still waiting on God for healing, but trusting in Him and being strengthened spiritually in the process. To call the elders, that is what we are called to do. And what are the elders supposed to do? It's not that the elders, just by being an elder, you have some sort of special healing power. No, the elder is supposed to tap into the power of God through prayer. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him or over her, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, oil was used sort of in common medical practice as well in in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember, the Samaritan, to help the guy with his wounds, when he found this guy in the street, he took wine and he took oil and he applied it to his wounds. Now, some people think, well, are the elders are just, you know, they're just applying oil in a medical way. Well, if the el- why would you need an elder to do that? If you have oil, just put oil on yourself. If you have a doctor, you go to the doctor, you get some oil. The, el- the elders aren't doctors. So, there's obviously something more than, than a medical practice taking, uh, taking place here. There's, there's, there's the symbolism of the 
power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Pouring that oil is, is a sign of this is a child of God. This is someone who belongs to God, who is filled with the Spirit. And, and, and then they begin to pray. Again, it's not the oil that is some sort of magic potion. It's simply symbolic. It says they are to, they are to pray and anointing him with oil, it says, in the name of the Lord. It's the Lord that does the healing, not the oil. Then verse 15 says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. James here is, in, he wants the church to speak honestly to one another. He wants the church to pray continually. And so he reminds them that the prayer of faith is, is what makes all of the difference, that God hears our prayers and answers our prayers. Now, don't misunderstand this verse. We need to read this verse in its overall context of Scripture. Because Paul prayed in 2 Corinthians 12 three times. He had some sort of thorn in his flesh. He had some sort of physical ailment. And he prayed three times, and God answered him, and the answer was not healing. The answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. And so not everyone has a, has a story where, where they called the elders and they were anointed with oil and they prayed and they were healed. Some people do have that story because God is a God of miracles, but it is God who does the healing in his time. And listen, if sometimes we, we wonder, God, why are you doing what you're doing? And if we knew what God knows, we would want what God is giving us. That we have to trust that God is in complete control. That, that the anointing with oil is done in the name of the Lord. It says the Lord will raise him up. The ultimate control and sovereignty is in God's hands. But that does not mean that we don't pray. Notice how in verse 15 it says, If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. God, in his beautiful master plan for his church and for us as individuals, sometimes uses illness and other forms of suffering to get our attention. Sometimes God uses hardship in our lives and sickness is one of those hardships to get our attention. It, this is what's described in 1 Corinthians 11 when the church of Corinth was, was not honoring the Lord in the way that they practiced communion, the way that they practiced the Lord's Supper. Some of them became sick as a result. When Jesus healed a man who was paralyzed, he looked at him right in the face in John chapter 5, verse 14, and he says, go and sin no more so that nothing worse happens to you. And so there is a category in which God will use suffering or sickness in our lives to help alert us to sin. But that is not always the case. The most important word in verse, in verse 15 is if. If he has committed sin. Sometimes we suffer and we get sick because of sin. Because of a specific sin. But other times we suffer and we get sick and it has nothing to do with a specific sin that we have committed. It has everything to do with the brokenness of our world. Remember in John chapter 9 when Jesus and his disciples encounter a man who had been born blind. And the first question the disciples ask is, who sinned? Was it his parents or was it him? Why is he sick? And Jesus says, it's neither. He says that this man, this man was, was born blind for the, for the purpose of displaying the glory of God. And then he went on and, and healed him. Think about Job. Think about what happened to Job. 
Job was a, was a righteous man. Job honored the Lord, and yet all of these afflictions came upon him. If, so if we find ourselves in a season of unusual suffering or sickness, it's good, it's right for us to ask the question, is there any sin in my life? It's good to ask your accountability partners or to ask your small group or to ask your family, are you seeing any unconfessed, unaddressed sin in my life? It's a good thing to pray Psalm 139 at the end where it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. But if you've done the search, if you've asked the questions, then, you, then there's no need to feel guilty or to, to, to feel like it is somehow resulting from your sin. Then James again encourages them in verse 16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. I had the elders stand up because the elders play a special role in certain circumstances to come and to pray. But look at verse 16. Therefore, pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. So I just want all of you just stand up right now because everyone stand up. Come on. And look around. These are all people who are able to and ought to be praying for you. We are to pray for one another. We are to confess our sins to one another. Now, I'm not going to get a microphone up here and have you confess your sins. That's not what James is getting at. You have to have some sort of relationship with the person. But look around. Look at this community of faith. This is what we are to be. This is what James is calling us to. If we are going to make it all the way home, We're going to make it all the way together. And it involves praying for one another and confessing to one another. Go ahead and take a seat. Now, you might be thinking, I mean, who am I? I'm just like, I'm a brand new Christian or I'm sort of a shy person. I pray quietly to myself at home. I've never opened my mouth to pray for another person. You might be thinking, I'm just not qualified. I'm not the right kind of person to pray for someone else. I'm glad you asked that. Look at verse 16. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah is just a normal guy. Elijah is one of these rock star superheroes in the Old Testament. I mean, wakes up, performs three miracles before breakfast. And yet, James here emphasizes that Elijah was a man like us. There are moments, you can read about Elijah's life in in 1 Kings chapter 17, right through to 2 Kings chapter 2. There are moments in Elijah's life where he is so bold and so courageous and so selfless and so in control. And then there are other moments where he's despairing and defeated and kind of wimpy and filled with despair. He, he, he was a man just, 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 like, just like you, just like me. He was a, a regular human being. Look back at verse 16. It says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You're probably thinking, well, that, that's just it. I, Elijah was, was righteous and made the elders, they're, they're righteous. Or Ted, like you're like a pastor, you're, so you're like a special righteous. Listen, none of us have righteousness that we've earned on our own. When it describes a righteous person, that's just the person who has looked at the cross. Can you all see the cross from here? Who I can't, but I'm trusting you can. That the righteousness comes from the cross of Jesus Christ. That our sin went to him and his righteousness has come to us. And so we pray in the name of Jesus. We don't pray in our own name or our own righteousness. We pray in the righteousness that comes from Christ. That was true of all of us. It was true of Elijah. 
It says in verse 17 that he prayed fervently that it might not rain. That sounds like me this past week, you know. I prayed fervently that it would not rain on Sunday, July the 18th. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. I apologize if we now have some sort of drought uh, as a result of me praying for this outdoor service. But Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain, and God heard his prayer and answered for three and a half years. And biblically speaking, the, the amount of time, three and a half, is very, very important as it relates to the judgment of God. It didn't rain on the earth. Then in verse 18 it says, Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, James is summarizing here. When it says, then he prayed again, what it really should say is, then he prayed again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. Because if you read the story in 1 Kings, he prayed seven times with his head between his legs, trusting the Lord. He sent his servant seven times to go and check the weather. And then it wasn't until his servant came back and said, yeah, you know what? I saw a cloud. It was kind of the size of a man's fist. I guess that's something. And Elijah's like, yes. And he saw that as an answer to prayer. And then the rain came. Sometimes, like Elijah, we just got to keep praying and keep trusting. And there are all, there's a million reasons to give up, but there's one reason not to, and that's the faithfulness of God and that he chooses to work through prayer. Okay, kids, let's review what we've learned so far. Here's the first one. Say it with me. Speak honestly. Then here's the second one. Pray continually. And then here's the third one. This is pursue restoratively. Do this with me. Pursue restoratively. I got you, my man over there. Thanks, Nathan. Appreciate that. So we're supposed to speak honestly, pray continually, and pursue restoratively. James concerned here. Again, the church, it was, was kind of like a mega church. The thousands of people all in the city of Jerusalem. Now they're all spread out. He feels like the churches are scattered. And he is worried that within the scattered churches, there would be scattered individual Christians who would start to wander. He says in verse 19, my brothers, again he's emphasizing, we're a family. My brothers, my brothers and sisters, God is our father. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James is concerned that some of these, some of these Christians are going to wander off the base path. They're not going to make it home. They're going to wander out into second field or out into the, out into the dugout or out into the, out into the stands that they're going to wander away from the mission. They're not going to make it home. And James says, be watchful and pursue restoratively those who are wandering. Now, kids, how do your parents feel about you wandering? How do they feel about you just walking out the front door and just wandering down? How do they feel if you go to camping this summer and you just wander away from the campsite into the woods? How do your parents feel when you're at the at the the splash pad, and you just decide to wander away. Give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down if your parents are in favor of wandering. Just show me. Just thumbs up or thumbs down. Yeah, they're not really, they're not very excited about you wandering. Why? 
Because when you move away from the family, you're vulnerable to all kinds of things. Things, kids, you don't even understand yet. But your parents know. Your older brothers and sisters know. Don't wander. James here says if anyone does wander, you got to pursue them. And you got to restore them. you got to bring them back. Notice what it says in verse 19. He says, if anyone wanders... No one is beyond wandering. Elders can wander. Small group leaders can wander. Young people can wander. Seniors can wander. Anyone can wander. Also notice this. There's no special qualifications for bringing a wanderer back. In verse 19, he says anyone. And then in verse 19, he says someone. There's no special qualification for going after someone when they're wandering away from the Lord when they're wandering away from the truth, when they're believing false doctrine or living in a way that contradicts the doctrine that they say they believe with their mouths, but they're contradicting with their lives. If someone wanders from the truth, it's on all of us to go after them. So think about this. Anyone can wander. Just look to your neighbor right now. Just tell them. Could be you. And then more humbly tell them, it could be me. And now tell each other, so I'll watch you, and you watch me. Because it could happen to anyone. And it can be fixed, it can be gloriously restorative if someone, not, not just the pastors, not just the staff of a church, not just the elders, not just the small group leader, someone, who is that someone. Who is the anyone and who is the someone? So I got to ask you right now, maybe you're watching right now online and you've been watching online for a long time and there's been a lot of things happening in your life and you've just been wandering away from the Lord. And part of the reason why you're not here right now is because you've been making some, de- some decisions and some choices that contradict what you say you believe and you've been wandering. It could happen to anyone. Maybe you're a leader in this church and you're wandering and you're not here right now. Listen, it can happen to anyone, and we're here waiting. We want to restore you. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're one of the people who are gathered here. Maybe you're one of the volunteers that was here today, and you've been wandering. No one knows it, but your heart is far from the Lord. It's time to turn back, because it could be anyone. And the work of restoring someone could be anyone as well. It's been so great. I mean, I'm looking forward to this. I see so many faces I haven't seen forever. But I've got to ask us as a church family, who isn't here? Do we know who isn't here? Who is the, the brother or sister that we haven't heard from or we haven't seen? But look at the words he uses in verse 20. Let him know that whoever, again, it could be anyone, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering, will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Like, it's, 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 this is serious. Now, I don't know if, if James, James didn't shy away from calling believers sinners uh, earlier in chapter 3. I don't know if he's talking specifically about, about believers or if he's saying that if someone's wandering away, then they, sort of like it says in 1 John 2, if they're wandering, then they're an unbeliever. And so we have to go, they might have been part of the church, but not truly saved. And if you go after them, listen, that's, 
That's God's business in terms of whether the person is a true believer or not. Our business is to do the work of pursuing. We can't see the person's heart, but we can see what they're doing with their feet. And if they're wandering away from the Lord, then our calling, our mission then, is to pursue them restoratively. Loved ones, remember how Jesus wanted us to know time and time again. He kept telling basically the, the, the same parable, but in multiple ways. He told the, the parable of the lost coin and how, how this woman is searching high and low to find the lost coin and she found it. And Jesus is like, no, I really want to make sure you get this. And he tells another parable, the lost sheep about the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after to get the one. And he's like, I still don't think you're getting it. So he tells another parable about a father and a prodigal son and an older son who just doesn't get it. The older son did not pursue The older son didn't aim to restore, but the father did. And whose heart do we reflect as a church? Do we reflect the heart of the older son or do we reflect the heart of the father who saw his son from a distance, his son who had wandered and who ran to him and embraced him? Loved ones, that is what we are called to do because loved ones, That is all of our story. That all of us have been wandering away from the Lord and God has reached out and restored us and God used someone, didn't he? Your conversion experience happened because of someone. Someone chose to take the initiative and share with you the message of Jesus Christ. And others of us have testimonies of even as Christians where we've wandered from the truth and it took someone, didn't it? to get us back on the right path. Someone who had the heart of the Father. Someone who desired to save a soul from death and to cover a multitude of sins. And so loved ones, James said, above all, above all, if we're gonna get home, above all, speak honestly, pray continually, and, and pursue restoratively. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We come to you in the name of the true older son. The older son in the parable of the prodigal son didn't get it. The older son didn't pursue. The older son didn't forgive. The older son didn't give out of an abundance of what the Father had given him. But Jesus, you are the true older Son, and you pursue us and you restore us. And I pray, Lord God, as good as it is for us to be together, as there is so much for us to celebrate in this moment, Lord, we know that there are brothers and sisters who are still struggling. Some of them who are even right here, right now. And Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you would do a good work in building the relationships within our church family in the way that we speak, in the way that we pray, and in the way that we pursue. Lord, we thank you that although we were lost, you came and found us. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.